Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through Friday on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Payne. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Was right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. It's <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. That's what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here as always with Anthony Slater in my neck of the woods on the West Coast, esteemed Warriors beat writer. We also have, it's it's a heavy West Coast presence on this week's pod, the beloved Jason Jones, Kings beat writer. Jay, what's going on, sir? Nothing much, nothing much, you know, just trying to hang in there, take it easy. That's good, man. It's you know I say beloved because you know I love you and Slater loves you and man, all these years on the beat. I don't, you know what do you think what the approval rating and the the level of love from the Kings fans is these days? It's not your fault, but you've been giving them you've been giving them bad news for so long. How are we holding up when it comes to the you know don't kill the messenger reality of your existence professionally? <laughs> I think it's gotten better from the sense of I went from you're just an LA guy who hates us to can you really blame him? It's not his fault. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like this, this kind of thing. Like the fans are resigned to this is who we are and this is how things are. It doesn't matter who's reporting it. It just is what it is. And right. cause you at some point, you know, when, when they get some positive news, they're like, thank you. You know, but we realize we still aren't good. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I'm glad some of them might've figured it out. Um, so today, well, they're getting a Kings heavy podcast today. They That's are, yeah. News. They get all Kings all the time in the office. Yes. Here is your tampering preview. So on today's pod, we are going to go deep on the Kings, not only the present and the future, but dip into the past a little bit. Jay, you had a good piece with Chris Weber recently inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, looking at, he did some interviews. What I liked about yours was he went down memory lane, very King specific. Uh, you know, we'll get into it in a second, but I mean, even a, a Lakers subplot that I honestly didn't know about, I thought that was good stuff. We are going to talk about the current day Kings and, you know, the reality that, yes, they're very excited about the Darren Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, Davion Mitchell reality and some of the other pieces, Rashawn Holmes being back, but all the fans and some media, you know, present company included seem to focus on is the Ben Simmons prospect and the idea of you know, might they eventually put enough on the table to to bring Ben to town and, you know, somewhat fittingly for this conversation, like if that did happen, then it would be almost Chris Weber-esque where you have a guy who's kind of scorned elsewhere on the East Coast coming to Sacramento to, to revive his career. 
we will talk some Warriors because we got Slater on here. We're going to talk Lakers because Jay is from LA and Kings fans want to always remind him that they can't stand the fact that he loves the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the show today. Um, let's jump in. Can, can we do a little Clippers so we get all Cal- four California? Yeah, I know, right? But, I mean, just- we're going to leave out one. Just we're going to so so reportedly, you know, Ben so Simmons. You're going to be Ben Simmons. Yes, reportedly Ben Simmons. Although this was refuted from folks I talked to, but reportedly he he was only excited about playing for three of the four California teams. We're going to pretend that that we all don't assume that's Sacramento. Um, and just for the purposes of this pod, say, sure, it's the Clippers. Which, I mean, you know, Kawhi's there, Paul's there. I don't know if, if Ben wants to be there. Who the hell knows? Um, Jay, let's start with Weber. And, I, you know, I read this story and taking me down memory lane, a bit of context for the listeners about you and I both and and how our kind of careers and lives intersected is like, I get on the Kings beat for the Sacramento Bee in 05, but there was the back end of the Weber era. I didn't ever cover him on a daily basis. The one memory that always jumps out in my mind is that, and this was a big deal for me at the time, is the first time that I ever wrote for A1 of the Sacramento Bee, which back in the newspaper, heavier days, you know, that was a big, big deal. It's right for A1. That's not just yeah. the sports audience. You know, that's everybody, was when Chris got traded to Philly. And to this day, I have a guilty conscience about the flippant tone of my lead because the man pours his heart and soul into his Sacramento chapter. And then a young, you know, I mean, now I feel like it's a smart ass Sam Amick comes at you with a lead that says, see you later, C web. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I should have been better. I should have done better, but he did a lot for the city, for the organization. You talked to him about that. What were your main takeaways of, of his reflections? It was interesting because I had never really heard the L.A. angle, the way he talked about it with me, just how, you know, he was really had his heart set on being a Laker. And I hadn't heard just the story about the the, the employee in the Spurs jersey when the Spurs were in town and fill in the gaps real quick, just in case folks didn't read the piece. So the L.A. angle, you talk about Eddie Jones, Nick Van Exel. And who else was it? One other Eldon Campbell. Eldon Uh, Campbell. Yeah, so he thought – what was the story there? You you tell it. Basically, he gets traded to the Kings in, what, May of 1998. And then, you know, because it's, the, it's you know, the lockout year, you have a this, you know, long gap before you actually get the training camp. The whole time, he's hoping he's going to get traded again to the Lakers. So, you know, he's been traded once. He's thinking, you know, what if I – I'm going to hold out, and they're going to trade me to the Lakers. And the deal he thought was going to happen would have been Eddie Jones, Nick Van Exel, and Eldon Campbell to send him to LA. And the other, other thing about that too, was that was the second time he was trying to play with Shaq. The first time obviously when he got drafted out of Michigan and he's told that story before, but the whole idea that after the uh, Michigan timeout thing, he was like, I don't deserve to go be in a movie with Shaq. I need to go, <laughs> go work out and get ready for the NBA. And Shaq wanted him to come down and be in the blue chips movie with him. Okay. And, I hadn't heard this one. Yeah. He didn't go be in the movie, but Penny Hardaway did and so they had built the whole gym for them to work out and then so while he's working out on his own trying to get ready you know for the league Shaq's catching lobs from Penny (laughs) in these pickup games he's like oh wow this guy here is amazing we got to get this guy so he so that's how that's how Shaq falls in love with Penny (laughs) and they end up in our he ends up in Orlando and so the second time Webb figures you know they're going to make this trade and I'll end up in LA you know 
they're close to a championship. And then the, they would have had a big three of Shaq, Webb, and Kobe, which looking back, that would have been ridiculous. Absurd. Yeah. yeah. And he missed out on all the royalty checks from blue chips and, you know, all the people. Yeah, that's a rough that. couple months for Webb right there between the yeah. timeout and the movie <laughs> choice. Good Lord. Yeah. So he, um, he said essentially he was waiting to get traded to the Lakers. And then when it became apparent they weren't going to trade him, he had a conversation with uh, Rick and Adelman and Jeff Petrie. And they pretty much told him, we know you want to be a Laker, but we're not trading you and we're going to win here. And he said, you know, that's kind of when he said, okay, I guess I got to be here. And then he, he went to the first practice. He's like, you know, I saw this skinny guy. I never, you know, I never heard of named Peja. Then I'm like, well, he can shoot a little. He knew who Vlade was. You know, but he said, then he kind of started to feel, you know what, we might be able to do something here. So, yeah, that was, I had never really heard that, you know, that Laker angle quite like that before. From a, I'm curious, from a reporting standpoint, and just your interview and your conversation, how did you get there with him? You know, you hadn't heard it. So it's not like you came in saying, hey, I wanted to ask you about this thing I heard. When you mm-hmm. guys were talking, how did you get, you know, how did that get revealed? It was just kind of, he just, I think, uh, you know, we were playing, you know, after getting to the Hall of Fame, we're playing phone, you know, the whole phone setup deal. And I actually been waiting an hour for him to call me back. Okay. <laughs> and then he said he re- then he said when he got, he got the no, he said, hey, you got one more phone call. He realized it was me. Right. He's like, oh, yeah, I know, Jay. So we started talking. And then because we had a, you know, a solid rapport already, it was more so we just kind of jumped in to, hey, man, you know congrats on the hall and it was just a real casual conversation i just said well like no take me back to that trade and what sacramento meant to you and he was he started off you know you know he was saying you know he thanks god for his time in sacramento because it really shaped his career but you know he wanted to be a laker and i was like what <laughs> and he was like yeah i thought i was going to get traded then he says you know we're going to be nick van exel eddie jones and eldon campbell and he you know he really thought that was going to happen and when and then he said, then he it, it came about because he talked about how that didn't happen. But he looks back and says, "Wow, we were the smallest team in the state, and we pushed them as far as anyone pushed them in that era." Right. Yeah, you know. So it, it was. It wasn't like I came in and said, "Hey, Chris, what about that Laker trade that didn't happen?" <laughs> you Did know, you he ever just get just, clarity, Jay, on on why it didn't happen? Any no, any not, sense there? Yeah, it, uh, nothing more than he said that. Jeff refused to trade him. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff was like, "I didn't trade you to trade you again. Trade, gotcha. I didn't, I didn't bring you here to send you to L.A. You know, I'm right. keeping you." Right. And you know, he said once he once they made it clear they weren't trading him again, you kind of have to go ahead and settle in and you know make the best of the situation. No, it's good stuff. Um, I you know I'm I'm watching the the web story unfold and. What I kind of loved about our coverage is, you know, Sham Sharania talked to Chris as well, but it had a lot of the other parts of his story. You know what I mean? The Big Five component. I'm sorry, the Fab Five component and everything with Michigan. And he's just one of the most compelling guys to have ever entered the hall because it was long overdue, but it was also a lot of tricky stuff to get through. Um, you know, Slater, what takeaways did you have from, you know, the weekend from Webb from that story? Uh, you know, it was, it's just, it was a good class, um, kind of a classic class and all, I thought all the speeches were good. I liked the Chris Bosch moment with Pat Riley, uh, you know, bringing the ring back and, right. um, it was, it, it's kind of a good, um, you know, off season. I, I love that weekend up in Springfield. Have you, you guys been to Springfield before? I have not. Nope. I, I would like not. to. My dad lives 
in the area and uh, a couple years ago we went over and it was cool you know it was you know the baseball hall of fame and even canton and the football hall of fame i feel like holds a little bit more prestige but i thought it was i, I thought it's a I think it's a well done hall yeah i always feel bad it's this time of year where even in non-covid times we don't get a lot of downtime so i've had the opportunity several times to go and then you you kind of just end up deciding there's not enough gas left in the tank to cross the entire country and and go do it but certainly you know tuning in and and shout out to our friend and colleague mark spears did a great job with the hosting component from the undefeated you know proud of him for doing that so let's segue there guys the obvious parallel here is that you know we saw what chris weber did to make the most of this opportunity that he didn't ask for um you know it's maybe a little apples to oranges and not only positionally on the floor but like ben simmons is a two-time all-star and a guy that that, uh, you know, because of his shortcomings in the most recent postseason, I think the story around him is now framed, you know, inaccurately, if you will, in terms of like how good of a player he actually is. We have recency bias about, you know, how he flamed out in the way that he did in the playoffs, but he would help the Kings a great deal. Now, the obvious follow-up is, you know, okay, fine, but but what did they lose to get him? And, you know, especially some of these young pieces that they're excited about. Um, start, Jay, I guess, with the macro outlook at this thing. You know, we have written recently and, and analyzed recently how the, the Kings have made it clear and, and you know talks about a month ago at this point that no De'Aaron Fox, no Tyrese Halliburton, you know, even and Kings fans will roll their eyes at this, I think, but the idea that even a guy like Harrison Barnes, who they do value, they're not eager to put him in any kind of package to, to lose. Um, so it doesn't seem like the urgency is there on their side that they see Ben as the, the kind of, you know, franchise changing talent that would be Weber-esque and bring in, you know, finally another good era. But how do you see this situation? Yeah, see, I kind of struggle with the idea if Ben can be that kind of player. But I'm I'm of the belief the Kings at some point have to do something. You just can't keep bringing back the same group and wonder why you're still 10 games under 500 every year. And, I, and even though I like some of their pieces, I wonder if maybe their pieces would be just don't fit together in terms of becoming a winning a winning team you got to shake some things up and i know you know they you know they get they they nearly you know <laughs> moved buddy healed you know it's no secret they've you know looked at moving marvin bagley you know but they want to hold on to all these guards and you know to get something good you got to give something up and that's what makes the weber trade so crazy when you look back at it I mean, did you really get him just for Mitch Richmond and Otis Thorpe, you know, two 30-year-old-plus veterans? <laughs> you know, I mean, that wouldn't fly nowadays, which is part of the reason why it's so hard to uh, come up with a deal. But you know, I ask myself sometimes with the Kings, you know, these guys they're holding on to, you know, whether it be Fox, you know, maybe, you know, Tyrese, are they going to be in the long term better all-around impact players than Ben? And I'm, I actually, I'm not sure. Is is Fox for Simmons to you guys like an imbalanced deal? I think it might be my favorite hypothetical deal out there that solves both teams' issue. I think Fox is better with Embiid than Simmons is. I think he just fits what Philly needs. And I mean, you're kind of alluding to it, Jason, but like you know, to me, a trio of Simmons, Mitchell, Halliburton is more. It fits better than Fox, Halliburton, Mitchell. And, you know, the salaries match, like a one for one trade there. Like I kind of see the appeal for both teams, really. I think um, I might have to deal with dog barking here in a second. Sorry. 
Um, here's my thing, Slater. You're the perfect guy to bounce this off of. In a static environment, I hear you, right? Like, for one, I would ask you, you know, okay, on the King side of that, you know, given your opinion of Simmons and Fox, you know, how much better do they get in a one-for-one? One? And secondly, if anybody understands the nuance of organizations being in love with certain players, and I, I understand this is a, a hell of a reach, the Kings have not won any championships, but the Warriors have now become this organization where Clay Thompson could have one leg and they wouldn't trade him. You know what I mean? Like because of what he means to the fan base. And Darren Fox right now in the present tense is one of the few things that their fans continue to be mostly excited about. So I think that I guarantee is part of the calculus for the Kings is like, not only that, but it would help. I think this is just me talking, but it would help if Ben carried himself like a guy who just saw nothing but great things in his future as an alpha male on a good team and his, you know, his kind of vibe and his swagger or lack thereof during the playoffs let, you know, left people with the opposite impression. And the idea that if you're Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox and their group and Vivek Ranadive, you got to question, can he come in and handle the weight of this fan base, the weight of now being the guy that people expect to, to bring you into some better era? I think that, I don't know what the answer to that question is. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the way that Fox has embraced the area, obviously, and, and the organization um, is different than Simmons potentially saying, I want to go to three of the four right. California teams. <laughs> no, it's but, the Clippers. Uh, we decided it's the Clippers. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, one of the things with Simmons is it's out there. And, like, as people are calculating if you want to trade for him or not is, like, you know, the concern about what he is is, like, a, a late playoff player. And, and as the games get tighter and, and there's tension and, um, you know, people are found at the rim and every free throw matters. Basically, the moments he shrunk from that Giannis didn't. Right. Um, that, you know, and how he fits on that stage because that's where he failed. But with the Kings, as, as Jason and, and Sam, you guys know well, like, they just got to get to the playoffs. Right. I think the I think the most stunning stat or streak out there right now is what it's been fifteen seasons, I believe. Yeah, uh, yeah two thousand. Like, I think I think the next longest drought in the league is like three or four. Um, they just got to get there, and it, that's they have defensive issues, obviously, and that's what Ben Simmons solves. And then I don't know. I mean, well, I, I do kind of want to get in with you guys how you think this three guard lineup, um, you know, with them drafting Mitchell under Halliburton and and Fox says about them. I know they, they're willing to, to – it sounds like you, you guys are reporting they're willing to play those three together. But to me, like Simmons is next to a couple of those. It's just – to me, if we're just talking basketball, I think that's a team I could believe more could make the West playoffs or at least the West plan than the current roster they sure. have. Yeah, yeah, what do you and think? The thing, yeah, the thing that makes it tricky about them, you just look at – and I know division doesn't matter in terms of seeding, but – Every other team in the West has at least two former All-Stars <laughs> on their roster. They have zero. At some point, the Kings have to make up for all these years of bad drafts and not having a not – they got to they gotta get some talent. I mean, they went through the whole post-DeMarcus, we got to get nice guys phase, and they got a lot of nice guys, but they get a lot of good players. And to me, at some point, you've got to get – you know, you, you know, you got to get some players in there. And, you know, and just knowing the coaches and kind of knowing the culture around there, even people there would tell you got some nice guys, but we don't have any dogs, you know, <laughs> and that's been kind of one of the questions about De'Aaron is just that is he an alpha male that you need in that locker room? Because De'Aaron will, will tell you he's more of a laid back reserve guy. 
And when I first met Davion, I, I coupled him with Tyrese. I said, they got their two, their two leaders now. You know, they're, they're two guys who are going to bark at people. They've got them now. The question then becomes, is De'Aaron, I always have this debate with people about max players. I know De'Aaron has a max contract, but I always say there's, th- there's two kinds of max players. There's max players who are franchise players and guys who are max players because they were the best player on their team. Right. And to me, there's a big difference between those two. And right no, now, all, all maxes are not equal. There's, I mean, listen, yeah. there's the inherent nature of the term itself. The max was created to put a ceiling on, you know, uh, on what it, one individual player could make. We all know that if LeBron, you know, didn't have a max to deal with, he'd be out there making 80 or 90 a year. I mean, so your point's well taken. Jay, am I accurate in saying you talk about the personalities of these individual guys on the Kings? And the tone in reading your coverage last couple of months, you know, my, my my feeling from you know your sense of things is that with Tyrese and with Davion, there there seems to be this real clear hope that they you know some of that dog, some of that mentality that these young guys are bringing will bleed over into De'Aaron. That even though he's coming off the best year of his career, and you got to give him a ton of credit for that, that there is a little bit of a, a missing component to the way he competes. And we'll call it consistency. Call it you know, just kind of his, his level of hunger to, to take this thing to the next level. I mean, would, you know, am I, am I reading the room right there where it seems like if you're just talking about, you know, that competitiveness um, that, that he actually needs to catch up to the younger guys a bit? Yeah, I think what, what they would tell you is just that there's, there's, there's times where De'Aaron kind of coast because he's so talented. He can coast for a while. You look down, wow, he has 15 points already. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like he's put his imprint on the game. And I know he had this big stretch a couple of times where he went off in the fourth quarter for like two weeks, where you know he's getting 15. He had a game where he outscored the Pelicans by himself in the fourth. Right. You know, which is great. But the whole idea is where where's that guy at in the first half? And they kind of they've they've wanted to see him be that aggressive, you know, that aggressive guy. And this goes back to even when Dave Yeager was the coach, where Dave would be like, I just want him to run. Right. You know, he's so fast. If he just, you know, even if the other guys aren't running with you, you go and right. make them catch up. And it's kind of like this whole he's, too, you know, he's just so you know cool. Sometimes it, it can get tough because they've had they had some game. And even De'Aaron would tell you it's consistency. You know, when he's great, he's great. But when he's kind of in that he's not in that in that ultra competitive attack mode, he'll go out there and have like a 12 point five assist game. Right. And they're not good enough to overcome that. Yeah, he's got to be on every night. I think it might have been George Carl or someone who once told me in an 82 game season, your great players are great 60 games of the year. And right now, De'Aaron's in that 50 50 range where he can be great. And sometimes, I mean, he had a game where, you know, I know it's Drew Holiday, but pretty much Drew Holiday came in with a Bucks team that didn't have Giannis or Middleton and just did whatever he wanted. Yeah, I remember that. De'Aaron's too talented to let that happen. And, you know, for the Kings, you know, in the, when they drafted Davion, I talked to some people in the org, they were just saying, this is what we need. We need somebody a lot of fire. <laughs> and that's kind of a scary proposition when you're already giving him a max deal and you're sure. saying the rookie from Baylor has to come in and help light a fire. Right. You know, that's, right. you know, it's, it's, it's not ideal. And I think De'Aaron, I think if De'Aaron maybe paired with another star, those things aren't as big of a deal, but right now they need him to be the star, the best player, the leader and all that. And that's what I mean when I say 
they have some nice parts, but maybe the parts just don't fit together well. Maybe sure, De'Aaron sure. is better with an Embiid and, you know, just a dominant number one guy, and he can kind of just do his thing and not have that pressure of, hey, we also need you to go get the young guys together and right. do all this other stuff. I like him in Philly. Uh, do I have it right? The Kings had the worst defensive rating like ever last year. Is that I right? I can't figure out if it was ever, but it was pretty close. I know, it's the worst defense I've ever watched. For, <laughs> I mean, we have that part I down. Mean, I mean, I'll never forget at one point Luke Walton saying after a game, hey, we're just asking the guys, can they make the guy dribble more than twice before he goes by him? And I've <laughs> never heard a coach at the NBA level basically say, could you please just stay in front of him for a second? I mean, you know, when I know they tried, they, they tried multiple schemes. They tried to dumb the scheme down. I mean, they, (laughs) I mean, there were times where it was just laughably bad where it was like, okay, who's next, you know, who's next. And then, you know, you you just get guys coming off the bench and I think they were playing the Warriors and someone who was down the court told me, because they had, at that point they were using like Buddy Hill as a small forward. And this is like a warrior team that had guys out. And you had guys literally screaming, I've got Buddy on me. Give me the ball. And these aren't like <laughs> these aren't like players who and you know, and Buddy's trying. That's what used to happen <laughs> to me when I played pickup ball with with our B buddies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and, and you know, you've got, you know, and, and somebody told me it's easy to hide one guy, but when you're trying to hide three, you really, yeah. you know, you really can't hide, you know, you know, and, and that was one of the things about why it was so hard on De'Aaron, because they were like, We need you to be like you know, this elite level defender. One reason why they drafted De'Aaron was because yeah, they loved yeah. the idea of him being this dominant two-way player. And Dude, I always so- remember Doug Christie at the time was on the telecast, obviously former King and now part of the coaching staff, just right out the gate with De'Aaron during his rookie season, kind of pulling me aside at a game and saying, saying like, watch him on the defensive end. I think this kid can be an absolute dog on that end. And he's got he's had moments, but it, you see the potential. But it, he he hasn't lived up to that part just yet. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because yeah. because a lot of the stuff you know you were talking about earlier about De'Aaron Fox's personality, you know, maybe a little bit too cool and 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 maybe doesn't you know just kind of have that ferocity. It's you could say that about Ben Simmons, but ability matters too. And I mean, we talk about defensive end and and what Ben Simmons can bring to any organization. I mean, he's he's considered what we would say pretty unquestionably like a top three top four defender in the league right uh, obviously super versatile we could talk about different ways the kings could maybe get him but you know if you just were to flip him for fox i just i just think about what that i hear do you to a defense well and to be clear and this is always the tricky part of analyzing this stuff for you know for the listeners don't get the wrong idea we don't have any idea any clarity about whether or not philly or the kings you know would consider in that case it'd be philly but we don't know if a one-for-one is something that would get the job done. I don't know what it would take on the Philly side. I do think, though, in kind of to take it down that road, it's worth exploring uh, some of the dynamics here that fascinate me quite a bit. So you have Daryl Morey out in Philly, obviously now a, a little bit into his tenure as the head of the Sixers front office working with Elton Brand. And then out in Sacramento, you have Monty McNair, who was an understudy of Daryl's in Houston. This thing, to me, guys, is, is fascinating because I think sometimes we forget about the human component in trade talks. And if you're in Monty's seat, you are an executive who, you know, has has been very discerning so far about what to do with this roster. You know, right out the gate, Jay, as you know, it was like, all right, first summer, okay, no big moves. And the Kings fans were getting restless. But, you know, it's also like when you're not making any big moves, you didn't make any big mistakes either. So 
he's kind of biding his time, biding his time. But there is, you know, a growing sense that he's going to have to shake it up at some point. Well, I feel a little bad for him that his best opportunity so far, one of them, to potentially go big and, and shake things up happens to come when he's across the table from a guy that he worked so closely with in Houston. Because if things don't pan out, I think this is part of the calculus. Only he knows, only the Kings know if this is entering the equation. But it's, you know, it's just the human part of it. If, you know, you don't want Ben Simmons to come to town and then maybe this, you know, the kind of psychological element in his game gets even worse and he and he, maybe he just decides quickly that he's not into the Sacramento situation and it's a total disaster. Well, now it's your old boss who took you to the cleaners in trade talks, you know, if it doesn't go well. And maybe De'Aaron Fox is out there, you know, leading with Embiid, the, the Sixers deep into the playoffs. So that part to me um, is interesting because those two guys are close. You know, I remember hearing in Vegas that, you know, Daryl and Monty, uh, you know, were playing tennis together and, and they're just, they're friendly off the court, they worked very closely together for a long time. So those, I'm sure, had, had been some interesting conversations. Yeah, and I think you look, Sac- you look at Sacramento, you can't underestimate, if you're Monty, the idea of having a guy who wants to be in Sacramento. I think there's kind of this, like, complex amongst sure. the fan organization of nobody wants to be here, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's, it's a reason why I think why, you know, a lot of people – didn't want to see DeMarcus move because DeMarcus was a guy who loved being in Sacramento. And I think when you have that kind of backdrop, it's like, why would you trade a young, a, you know, and the thing that I say, a young De'Aaron, it's not like Ben Simmons is like 30. I mean, people forget how young well, he is. Well, that's the thing, though, is he, I don't know if he's, to bring it back to the Weber parallel, I don't, this might be hopefully not a bad way of putting it. I don't know if Ben's been kicked enough to be ready to embrace this experience. You know what I mean? I, that's a, well, good, that's no, a really I, good point. Yeah. I mean, my pushback would be two things. Number one, um, you know, I don't know what the, it, like the Kings to me don't seem to be given up like this rising future contender, right? If they gave up on, on some parts of this era, like it needs to be reworked for them to, to, to have a higher ceiling, I think. And number two, Ben Simmons has four years left on this deal. And where you're right is, yeah, Ben Simmons may arrive day one, similar to Chris Webber arrived day one as Jason was putting it going, man, I'd rather be on the Lakers. Man, why do I got to be here? But if he did have some nice moments here, you know, you guys both very much know this fan base and the way they would embrace Ben oh, yeah. Simmons leading them to 43 wins or something like that. Um, and I think he, like, especially after playing in Philly, and have you seen some of it? Like, there was a local broadcast in Philadelphia the other day where it was uh, this, like, garb. It was when Ida went through and kind of flooded some areas, and it was this, like, dumpster going through like flooding and it was like uh and one of the local broadcasters was like there's ben simmons get, uh, making his way out of town oh, or Lord. something like that like no, it's just harsh yeah. it's just harsh there and i brotherly I love do baby think ben simmons may not know this in the moment or know at the moment maybe he arrived in sacramento and i know we're going down some hypotheticals but i do believe like if he got the embrace that we know this city uh, that sacramento would give him if he even led them to a decent season. I think you could believe, hey, it's possible to to keep him around here long term, especially since he's locked in for what I believe it's four more yeah. seasons. Honestly. And that is that's huge. I mean, you get that kind of control for a player like that. It could work, and that's where you know. Again, I don't envy Monty in, in that front office. Uh, or you, you know, to take a chance. And sure. and speaking to that point, 
of all the years I've covered them, the one year they finished ninth, and it was interesting because it was the year they were, I think they won 39 games. The fans still hold that season like it was like, like they won 48 games. And it's like, you know, and that was Dave Yeager's last season. And he even said before their last game in Portland, he said, yeah, we're ninth, but he said, we're not close. Right. We're like nine games out of eight. We're not. Right. This is not close. Meanwhile, the fans are chanting, "We're nine out of eight. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's literally what it was. And I even wrote at some point that that ninth place finish was kind of a mirage. You really weren't that close. You know, I pointed out. You know, LeBron missed like thirty something games that year. Jimmy Butler decided. Oddly enough, in Sacramento, he was going to do all he could to get out of Minnesota. Ooh, that was a night. <laughs> Yeah, all that stuff happens, and then, you know, and even with that, the Kings still finished that season bad. They were like 9-16 and 16 after the break, but it's because they were ninth, it felt like to them, oh, my God, you know, and even some of the people in the organization were like, thank you for pointing out that we still weren't good. Right. <laughs> we just happened to be the ninth team that we weren't good. You know, how much but, is how much do you guys think is too much uh, in, in potential in these talks? You know what I mean? Like, at what point – uh, you know, we've we've talked about all right. The Kings say no to Fox and or Halliburton. Um, you know, Slater, you focused on the one for one prospect, but what sort of deal do you think you know ends up just just you know to the point where you got to walk away because you're not getting it to the next level? I think I I think the Kings should be willing to give up one of Halliburton or Mitchell, um, and you know, attaching one of those two to what you know we're talking like Buddy Heald, Bagley, maybe a future pick or two. Um, just I like Tyrese Halliburton, but to me he profiles as as a high level role player. Uh, I like Davion Mitchell, but to me he profiles as a high level role player. And you know when we're talking about swings to try to to just change the mix up and 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 become like a you know a five seed even uh, in the next couple seasons. Uh, I just think. That's worth it for the Ben Simmons swing. One of the two. I wouldn't just package all of it. And that's to me. To me, Fox can stand alone. If I'm Philly, I, I probably would just one for one do that deal. So those are two separate conversations. But um, I, I would be. I, I don't know about you two, but I'd be willing to give up one of Mitchell or Halliburton. I would. I think you have to. I think, like you said, you when you look at the, the, their their guard trio with those three, and even if you throw Buddy Hield in there as the fourth guy. Are any of those guys going to be all stars? You know, you know. Do, you the know, crazy does, thing is, I really don't think that Philly. Now that I sit here thinking about it, and I, you know, listen, I don't have clarity from the Philly side. I'd be very surprised if Philly was willing to do a one for one. I think they look at Fox and say, like, I think they, for one, they like Buddy Hield. Now, the money at that point, you got way too much money between De'Aaron and Buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, you know, the the key question here being Daryl. And that front office, and you know, at what point do they come down from this exorbitant price? Especially with, by the way, when the reporting on Ben continues to get more and more problematic in terms of him likely not showing up at camp. The fact that uh, Brian Windhorst of ESPN had noted the other day that the way Ben's contract is set up, that he gets half of his money on you know fairly early in the season, that he's just going to be sitting on a mountain of cash and and seemingly willing to keep taking these fines that will come his way if he doesn't play. So, if you're Daryl. The leverage game gets very interesting very quickly if Ben is, in fact, willing to just completely sit on the sideline and, and wait for something to happen. Yeah, I mean, that's where, you know, we talk about possible Kings packages or any team. I mean, like, they, they'd have the leverage. And, and you could say, you know, sh- sh- would Philly take a one-for-one one Fox for, for Simmons? Maybe they wouldn't. 
Should they? I mean, where would they get a better player than that right now? I mean, like that to me would be the best thing possible on the table. Now you could hold out for the Lillard, this Lillard pipe dream, and I do think if again, we, I don't know, he's starting. I mean, his you know, so a lot of times social media is the best pulse we can take with these guys. I mean, Dame's social media uh, on the heels of his incredible wedding, and by the way, congrats to him and his wife. That was amazing to see uh, and live through social media. But you know, his posts recently have been you know more about Rip City love, and he doesn't sound like a guy that is going to pull the plug anytime soon. And and that does make Ben Simmons by default the best guy to to pursue at this time. And uh, so I'm with you. I think Philly might be in a tough spot in a couple months here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. how long are you going to hold out for this package that no one's going to give you? <laughs> and I, I and I can understand the whole idea of you don't want to package around Marvin Bagley and Buddy Hield because I got the guy even wrote why would. Why would you trade potentially the defensive player of the year for Sacramento's two worst defenders? Right. I love that line. Well put. So, so you know, I can understand that, but I think the price is going to have to come down at some point. If, sure. if it gets to that point where Ben's like, I'm not going to play. Right. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Or dealer Slater before so, we sorry well, go I ahead just because I, I know we had a king's podcast i feel kind of bad like what about their let's say ben Simmons <laughs> doesn't arrive. team yeah what do we think about this team and and the idea you know this this long looming playoff drought that they have and you know luke walton probably somewhat on some thin ice entering this season um and you know the fact that the play-in still exists again this season so really you know at least the idea that even if they get 10th, they're they're in the mix. Um, do we think it's possible that they're in the mix? And also, I want to ask you guys, just because of your organizational knowledge and sources, how pressurized is it? Because it does, it did seem like McNair is getting somewhat of a of you know allowed a patient approach to to the rebuild. But do you, does it feel like like you know better get the 10th scene? Like is Vivek thinking that way? Jay, I'll let you go first, brother. 
Well, for I think they can crack the top 10. I mean, for as bad as they played defense last year, they still almost got into the top 10. I mean, they had two nine-game losing streaks in this part where they lost nine of 11. So I think the top 10, you know, like getting the 10th or 9th isn't, you know, impossible. But the, the, the whole idea of the pressure thing can really change from day to day in Sacramento, as, you know, Sam can attest to, too. I mean, Vlade was, you know, basically shown the door a little more than a year after getting a contract extension. <laughs> so, right. I mean, it, it really can mention, change and, and we day have, to day. We haven't pinned this part down. I think I'm confident saying this, that the general nature of how this current front office was put together from a financial standpoint was such that, you know, I, I don't, as far as skin in the game and the idea that Vivek, you know, would be either hesitant or willing to apply pressure and even and, and, and kind of hold that thing over their heads as far as job security this soon. I, I'm not trying to, you know, get aggregated here. I just think that that pressure was there from day one because of the way they set this thing up. And, you know, I, that part doesn't go away. Now, Vivek also knows that on the PR side, you know, every single time you make big changes, either in the front office or coaching ranks, that spotlight shifts back to you and the conversation becomes, you know, hey, what's the one common thread here during these years of, of continued failure? It's it's the owner, and he doesn't want that conversation to happen because the, the Maloof excuse is long since gone. Um, but I do think, I mean, there's always a baseline amount of pressure. I think it's it's elevated a bit with this group because this streak is just a hundred. It's just, it's just got to go. You know I mean? You're talking about, and I covered the last Kings playoff game. That was my last year on, or no, I'm sorry. That was my first year on the beat, which is insane. <laughs> you know, I look at Facebook the other day and, and you got Kevin Martin out golfing with his father, uh, in, 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 uh, in, uh, good Lord, Ohio. Thank you. And it's like, Kevin's, you know, retired how many years ago? And Kevin was the guy who had that that twisting layup game winning shot and the one playoff win the Kings had in that first round series against San Antonio. That was the last Kings playoff series. This was a lifetime ago. I, I, yeah. I believe I saw on the sidelines, uh, a, a goateed Sam Amick with a typewriter. Oh yeah. Uh, at the time. That's all. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did was. you say sidelines? Like they let us sit on the court. Yeah, You're on the sideline like, with, you had a cigar in your mouth, a fedora oh, yeah. and a typewriter. A and you're whiskey like, flask. Oh, Kevin Martin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was no you couldn't even tweet the results there was probably no twitter and it's just right he 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 had a logo that said press on it that just put on. man Honestly, and, and i, I feel I like i don't think there was twitter i don't think there was twitter the last time the king i think uh, you're correct were in the playoffs. I think there, there was never there i don't know have there ever been a kings in the playoffs tweet <laughs> no <laughs> that's hilarious well, this is on a more somber note. Jay, your, your brain might have gone to the same place. Thinking about our guy, Marty Mack, rest in peace. Uh, longtime Kings beat writer was, was certainly around during those days. And um, thought about him with your Weber interview. Think about him when you think about the Kings playoffs. Uh, but again, it just does kind of underscore how time marches on. And the one thing that hasn't changed is the Kings not being in the playoffs. Guys, we're going to let Jay go in a few minutes here. But before we do... For one, I dropped the ball at the beginning of the pod. I forgot to preview the fact that I had a conversation with Donovan Mitchell and his mother, Nicole, recently about both hoops and charity. They did some really cool stuff in the education space with Clorox, and I'm going to share that interview on the back end of this chat. Um, but before we pivot there, Slater would be remiss if I didn't get your updated perspective, if you have one, 
on the Simmons Warriors component. They are one of the teams that have been tied to that situation. You've continually, you know, kind of poured cold water on the the the, uh, the conversation. But how do you see that in the here and the now? All is quiet. Uh, you know, it, it, it remains quiet. The Warriors are at this point not proactively at all. Not it's not even just a Ben Simmons thing. The Warriors aren't shopping anyone right now. They 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 believe the roster they have is the roster they're going into camp with, which includes two rookies and also James Wiseman. So essentially three rookies. Um, but you know, right now they're they're bringing in guys working out for like fifteenth roster spot, including Darren Collison had a workout I believe last week. Um, so they're just not. <laughs> Chase is uh, laughing. You're bringing him back. I'm just yeah, like right. the, the, it's like the, I mean the Darren Collison will or will not come back story will not go away. Right. It, Never. And I know I know I know DC. So it's just weird to see like what two three years later is he coming back or remember is when he, he showed up at a Lakers game sitting next to Jeannie Bus a couple yeah. of years, like that was two seasons ago. <laughs> uh, so i just uh you know look if daryl Morey gets to a point and this probably will not happen until it gets super uncomfortable and can't maybe joel Embiid is just pounding the table like get this storyline out of philadelphia uh whatever it takes for daryl Morey to lower the price significantly um that's the only like it would have to be lowered significantly for the Warriors to even have a conversation. And I think that's the same with a lot of teams, maybe even the Kings. Um, and it just has not got to that point. And the Warriors at this point don't seem to care if it does get to that point. Because like I said, this is the team they expect going into the season. So uh, at this point, all is quiet. And the only way it, w- it, it will pick up, I think it maybe even league-wide, is if it's just Daryl Morey feels a little more pressure to actually get something done and gets more reasonable with his price. And it just hasn't gotten there yet. Right, right. All right, before we go, curious your guys' thoughts on this last situation that I alluded to. Um, so my quick backstory on the Donovan Mitchell interview is this. These are officially the dog days of the NBA offseason, and a, a PR firm had reached out about some work Donovan was doing, uh, like I said, in the education space. As I wrote, as I said to Donovan in the interview, it's typically not the kind of interview that I would do because it's not through an NBA team or even just straight through the player. I I have no problem at all ever highlighting charity work, but it's always tricky when you're trying to also talk basketball. And as you guys know, like, you know, there's a level of control in these interviews that we don't necessarily want to seed to take part in them. All of which is to say I did it because, you know, largely my wife is a longtime middle school science teacher. Teaching in the last couple of years has been tougher than ever. And I'm like, you know what? This is some great work. Let's talk about that a little bit. And, you know, he is willing to talk jazz. Um, So shout out to him and his mom for the work they're doing education wise. On the basketball front, I did enjoy our chat and I thought he was pretty good. Here's the the, my number one takeaway, I think, was the fact that you'll hear here in a couple minutes is that he reflected on the ankle injury and the fact that, you know, he misses the last 16 games of the regular season, thinks he's ready to go for game one in the first round against Memphis was cleared essentially by his people. And I say cleared. I mean, his people's opinion was that he was good to go. Jazz Medical ends up saying, we don't agree. They sit him. He's upset. Tony Jones and I wrote about that at the time. And the bigger narrative is, oh boy, it's another situation where our our Donovan and the Jazz in lockstep, how are things going there? This is a year after the super complicated COVID campaign where they were at the center of that whole situation and the Rudy Gobert controversy. So on the ankle front... He flat out said, like, Sam, you know me. I like to go through you, around you, or over you in terms of my game. And the playoffs, I had to do something different. He was grounded 
in his words, for the entire playoffs. For a guy who was grounded, he played pretty damn well, but they obviously get beat by the Clippers. Uh, But as we go into this season, I do think we are overlooking the Jazz. They have as much, if not more, continuity than anybody. They re-signed Mike Conley. They have new ownership, which does seem to be a good thing for Donovan's purposes. He's happy with Dwayne Wade being part of the ownership group. So, you know, tricky dynamics and a lot of layers there, but 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 how do you guys see Donovan and the Jazz and how they fit into the league wide space? We we probably are overlooking them. Um, but I mean, I'm gonna and I I believe everyone, uh, most pundits will continue to want to overlook them because we said it all last season. They were the one seed. They could be the one seed again this season, and it was like oh, you got to see it in the playoffs. And then what happened? The playoffs came around. The you know they had the the matchup issues with Gobert and the Clippers series against a small lineup. Uh, I do agree with you. Like Donovan Mitchell was limping around much of the late part of that series, so I'm sure that did affect him. But it's it's kind of. Um, Prove it in the playoffs, and, and until then, I don't care that. What didn't the Jazz go like twenty and one over a twenty-one game stretch early last season? And dude, they were forty-two. One. I think forty-two and twelve when he got hurt. Um, yeah, they were unreal. And and the, a quick aside on a lighter note, I, I poked fun at myself in the conversation with him because, as you guys know, a couple months back, I have my old man ankle injury when we go on vacation to Hawaii and turn my ankle pretty badly, and. Three plus months later, now granted, I know I got 18 years on Donovan, so we don't exactly have the same physical, you know, profile, but I'm still doing physical therapy and it hurts three plus months later. So I told him like, it it cracks me up how with pro athletes in general, they turn an ankle and if they're not hundred percent within three weeks, the fans and media are like, what the hell's wrong with you? Let's go. And so I really could more than ever relate to the idea that when he says that he was grounded, like I get it. Like you can, you can go be eighty percent of who you are, and, but when you can fly like him and, and do the kinds of things he can do when healthy, that last twenty percent is a big, big deal. Plus, of course, they had Mike Conley with the hamstring situation. He misses five games against the Clippers. I know sports. We always talk about what if. So well, whatever. Well, we can go across the. I mean, so many of the contenders across the league dealt. With I know. Injuries. Yeah, that was the story of the playoffs. But their story matters too to me. I, it does. They were hurt. It does. Yeah, and I think people forget that's probably one reason why the Jazz get overlooked because as much as we all like Mike Conley, one thing about Mike Conley during his career is he's had these nagging things pop up on him before. Right. You know, and I think you kind of just say you got to see it in the playoffs. And I know it's almost it's almost like, you know, cliche to say they're not a real sexy team, outside, you know, but, you know, they're really not. And I think people, when you look at the Jazz, people don't look at them as a team where they say, okay, it's a tough series. Who's going to take over? I mean, I think Donovan can be that guy, but clearly this past playoffs, he wasn't right. You couldn't expect him to do that. And if he's not 100% as good as Gobert is at what he does, no one looks at Gobert and goes, yeah, that guy's going to really change a series for you. You know, and then well, if anything, that Clipper series – you could, you. I mean, I would argue you had to get him out the game. Right, right. <laughs> and I, and I actually felt bad for Rudy in that situation because he wasn't doing anything he hadn't done all year. It's just that you're taking a chance. Is, is, is Terrence Mann going to really beat us tonight? And <laughs> that night, Terrence Mann was really beating them. Right. So, I mean, I just, so, people are just not going to believe in them until they see them take out one of the top, you know, take out one of the L.A. teams or a Phoenix in the playoffs. Right. And, and they – probably shouldn't because look last year in the regular season every metric told you that the utah jazz were a dominant like 
play title favorite like you know net rating and, and and obviously record you know everything and you could look into all the advanced stuff it was like wow this team profiles as like you know the definite title favorite at this point and there were people then like why aren't you taking them serious enough it's like okay we'll see it i want to see how it goes in the playoffs and it didn't go well so um it's just I don't know. I mean, what could they do in the regular season, Sam, to make you be like, "Yep, this is the the title favorite"? Because no, not nothing. It's yeah. it's for sure. It's got to be in the playoffs, and the Conley health is a big deal, and Donovan health, and and Rudy, and man, the Rudy thing. This is a pod for another day, and I think we might have our guy Tony Jones on in a few weeks. But like the Rudy thing's hard. I look at you know Quinn Snyder in a static environment. I keep using that phrase. Quinn, a hundred percent, should have I think taken Rudy off the floor. I think the tricky part is. It, it, Quinn knows the ego's involved here. You know, Rudy is a multiple-time defensive player of the year. What do you do to his psyche and the connective tissue within your group and with the coaching staff and Rudy if you're putting him on the bench in that kind of a moment? Now, you could say that reflects – if that's, in fact, you know, a dynamic that came into play, that reflects uh, poorly on Rudy. But those are tricky things to get through, and you got to show it in the playoffs. You guys aren't wrong about that. I just think that if you look at what Donovan said, he said – and essentially, he only watched one game of the NBA Finals, the final one, because it was too tough and he felt like they should have been there. And they very much could have had, you know, the same uh, type of story that Phoenix had. You know what I mean? Phoenix came out of nowhere and, and had that run that, that we did not see coming. That could have been Utah if they were healthy. They have the talent. They got Joe Ingles back again, you know, Jordan Clarkson and that whole crew. So I think they're going to be really good. But you're right. The postseason is, is where it matters. Slater, you got one if, more party thought? Yeah. If somebody, if either you two or if anybody out there picks the Jazz to, to win the West this season, I'm not going to be like, wow, that's an idiotic pick. That could never happen. It could happen. I'm just not picking. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm with I'm, you. I've learned that. Like, <laughs> I'm with you. They you could know, win I'm, 65 yeah. games this year, and I'd be like, uh, I'd still say Lakers and six. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we I love mean, about it though, right? Like we weren't believing in the Bucks for a long time and and you know, a lot of a lot of things happened to get them there, but they got that job done. Appreciate you guys. I know Jay, you got another obligation coming up here. Um like um, I said, we didn't we didn't even dive into the Lakers. So I was about first. to say I completely false advertising. It was it was also I had to make sure that you came back on the show. Do you have any quick Lakers thoughts you want to share? You know, are we're feast or famine, I think is the perspective on the Lakers, this old crew that that is uh, nothing but Hall of Famers. How do you see yeah. what they're doing? I think they're just doubling down on the way they won the title. They're just going to say, you know what, we're going to get a couple of bigs who we're just going to do. You know, we're going to, I guess, make DeAndre Jordan this version of our, their this uh, Cruz Javale. You got Dwight back, and they're going to and I and they're going to double down on. We're going to try to get to the rim because if you watched them last season. What made them so weird was that as good as they were defensively, and for a team that had had a LeBron and an AD, they really struggled to score for long stretches. They would have right. stretches right. where it would be like like clockwork. Okay, here it is, about eight minutes in the third. They're not going to score for five minutes. Right. And I think by adding Russell, you've got a guy who you know, if anything, he's going to the rim. <laughs> he's going to get you something. So I mean, I'm I'm actually pretty much I'm pretty intrigued by. It. I know everyone's hung up sure. on the age. But it's like, you know what? They don't have to be, you know, this team is, is trying, to, it's trying to get to the postseason. And then in that case, you know, you're not playing back-to-backs. Right. You know, you're not asking Melo to play 40 minutes. And I think in crunch time, you're going to have, my thing is they're going to have AD, LeBron, Westbrook, and then pick two other guys to go out there with them. So I think 
you know, people were out. I mean, the defense is a concern, but I think if, if you're talking about late in game and you have AD at the five, LeBron showed last year that when he, that he can still play defense, I think Russ will give you good defensive effort. You've got to get a couple of guys out there with him. So I'm intrigued by what they're going to actually be. It's just, I think the age thing is a factor. I think people are maybe in some cases playing the age up way too much. Like they've got like eight 50 year olds on the team. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there was a a picture that went around on social media that I think speaks to what you're talking about, about one of the bulls championship teams. And it had, you know, MJ and Pippen and Ron Harper and Tony Kukoc and, and Rodman. And then it had the ages of each of them above it. And it was nothing but 36, 37, you know, 35. And and then the funny part with the Lakers is AD being the, the quote unquote young guy, is more injury prone than anybody else on that squad. So we'll see how that part goes. They're going to win a ton of games. I would, I would put the same thing on them that we put on the Jazz, which is they could win 60 games, and and be, partly because of the age, I got to see health and elite play in the postseason to believe what they're going to do. But watching it mesh and watching Frank Vogel and his staff try to figure it out, um, I think Russell, more than any other component, is going to for sure be must-see TV. They need to have a camera crew on those guys all season. Just, oh, yeah. I know they have their inside, you know, their their backstage Lakers show, but we just need to, we need to have it. That's going to be just fascinating to watch, you know, those personalities all together. I mean, it feels like the Lakers have been trying to get Carmelo for 10 years. Right. <laughs> you know, so just how all that comes together. I think it's going to be, you know, fascinating to watch. And I think Westbrook is going to be good for LeBron because, you look at the team through he's won. He's had a guy who could handle the ball besides him. Right. You know, so you have him, you got, you know, Rondo. I mean, this is. I've said it before. I mean, the the Westbrook thing, one of the overlooked components, I think, is that I do think LeBron sees Russ as the kind of, you know, co-star that can help him extend his career. Because if LeBron ends up playing the four a lot more, AD at the five, <clears throat> excuse me, then I think that's good for LeBron's, you know, end of career runway. I also think, uh, to put myself out there a little bit, I should own this moment that I shared with our Lakers beat writer, Bill Orm, the other day. Uh, it, I don't know why I'm dreaming about basketball during the offseason. It's not really healthy. I need to work on my my mentals. But regardless, I did, and I might have had a dream where the Lakers started 6-18. and 18, So I just want to, you know, just if they yeah, end up yeah, – yeah. we, we, we don't need that in the or and I, you know, I <laughs> – it was only the Lakers. I don't even remember the context of why this was happening in my brain, but six and eighteen. <laughs> uh, you know, you don't want to know what else is in there, but but that part I did remember yeah, when maybe, I woke up. That just means you need a break. You're probably thinking in your head, "Oh my God, what do I have to write now if they're six and 18? Oh yeah, we don't need that. We don't need that. I'll be in LA every weekend. Come on, let me be home a little then, bit. Like you, you know, know if, if that happens, you're like. How many things have gone wrong? Oh, like, yeah. You got to go cover the train wreck. Yeah. Who's hurt? Who's bickering? At that point, pretty sure <laughs> Frank's been fired. And <laughs> I mean, it, that there, there would be so much going on at that point if, they, if that were to happen. But if it does happen, we're going to go back to this pod and, and have a little fun with this crystal ball between my ears. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, appreciate you. Uh, We will now pivot and share the Donovan Mitchell interview with his mother, Nicole. You guys have a good week. Appreciate you coming on. Be good. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, Don, great seeing you, sir. Hey, how you doing, Sam? I'm hanging, brother. I think I haven't seen you since the bubble. That was a long time ago. Yeah, a while <laughs> back. <laughs> hey, uh, listen, I, I know you guys are doing the tour Recording today. Recording in progress. You probably didn't. This was not by design that, that you ended up being on the news for education-related things today. And I've seen mm. on Twitter, it sounds like you prefer not to address the situation with, with the Senate. Uh, Nicole, I was going to throw it. Your way. So here's where my head at. Nice to meet you, by the way. Likewise. Um, I don't normally take part in these kinds of interviews where it's promotional for non-basketball stuff. So admittedly, my wife's a 20-year middle school teacher. Wow. I got a soft spot for what you guys are doing. You know, we literally earlier this year were filling up bags to get supplies in the classroom, things like that. So with all that in mind, I'm thinking to myself as I'm waiting to, to chat with you both. Um, the question is this. How proud are you to see Donovan? make this kind of impact, not only with the program with Clorox that you guys are doing. And then you talk about, you know, you don't have to address it, but the news today and the critical race theory discussion, you know, potentially impacting the, the actual uh, lessons happening in the classroom environment. So from all these different angles, impacting a place that obviously means a lot to you, how does that hit you as a mother? Um, first of all, I'm very proud of Donovan and um, that he has a place in his heart to align with the brands such as Clorox, doing what they're doing, donating a million dollars, um, which you could just hop online to Clorox.com and go shopping for things for their classroom. Um, that's a brand that's really doing um, amazing work for not just teachers. I mean, people say, oh, teachers, but the teachers are teaching your children. Um, so right. it's, 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 right. it's a worldly thing. It's not just a one generational thing. Um, so right. for Clorox to do that, I think that's amazing. Um, regarding the news in Utah, um, I'm not going to give um, them the time right now because right now we're focusing on something that's extremely positive 
as far as giving sure. back, and that's with Clorox. Um, I guess that will be handled at a different time, possibly. Um, so, but thank you for, I, and respecting that. Um, and I'm happy that you understand the work that goes into teaching. I think, is it, was it your wife or your mother who's a middle school teacher? It's my wife. Your wife. Yeah, yeah. I've got quite a few teachers in the family. But oh. yeah, my wife's taught seventh grade science for oh, 20 wow. years in a, a tough neighborhood in, in yes. South Sacramento. So the, honestly, the older I get, the more... <laughs> Like my job's cool and Don, I see you all the time and it's fun and everything, but she's changing lives right. and has done it for a very long time. Right. So, so I have the utmost respect. Right. Right. Teaching seventh grade anywhere is um, tricky. Um, I taught the yes. little ones uh, where they're eager to learn and um, for the most part, they're happy and all they want to do is just be coached and taught the right way to um, pronounce a word. Uh, seventh graders right. are pretty, um, they're stuck in their way and they're trying to test you. So kudos to your wife. Um, but yeah, I'm yeah, sure she could have, she would appreciate um, Clorox and what they're doing uh, with this initiative. So um, yeah, we're we're extremely happy to be here and um, thank sure. you for this time. Don, how do you see this? Uh, you know, uh, you're 25 now and happy belated birthday, by the way. Thank you. Thank um, and I always enjoy seeing young guys. I mean, I've you know kind of got to know you a little bit early on when you were this fresh faced rookie and. And I remember telling you when we did a podcast interview years ago, man, don't change, stay the same dude. And it, and it certainly seemed like you have, but now the older you've gotten, you get more money in your pocket and you have your basketball life, you have your off court life and the chance to do these kinds of things, you know, speak to the similar question to your mom, just, you know, where does this fit in terms of things that matter to you and and, and how much, how fulfilling, I guess, is it to, to make this kind of impact? Yeah. I think for me, um, the biggest thing is doing what you love. You know, I think that's why I play basketball. It's, it's ultimately, ultimately what got me in, to be here. Um, and speaking to, you know, working with Clorox, you know, being able to give back to people who give back as a job, you know, like being able to give back to people who give back. Um, I think that's, that's huge. And being able to give, you know, $1 million to donor, uh, donor choose, which allows teachers to pay for school supplies, books, uh, that falls in the same category, but uh, meals, um, disinfectants, but then also um, paying for, for Wi-Fi, which to me stood out the most because sure. that was a big thing for for students, a lot of students, because they didn't have the access to have online school. So now they're missing out during that time, especially during COVID. And, you know, I think parents, you know, I'm not a parent, but I think the consensus I heard from teammates <laughs> that uh, had kids and friends that, that I know have had kids and said, the biggest thing that they took away from the quarantine was like the appreciation for teachers because they're with their kids all day, you know, and they don't necessarily right. know, right. they don't know seventh grade science, you know what I mean? At, at the house. So being able to show, have their appreciation, I think when working with Clorox, being able to show our appreciation to teachers, I think was one of our, one of our biggest things. And we, we, we love that. And so for me, just doing what I love, you know, obviously, you know, I've been blessed enough to not, you know, I can stop playing and be be set for life, but it's not about the money, you know, for me, it's really about the cause and what it's going to um, and what what the brand stands for, you know, if, if our interests and our, and our, what we stand for are aligned, you know, and I think with Clorox and what we have, what we're doing here, uh, they definitely are aligned and, you know, this is a great cause and I'm, content, I'm blessed to just be able to be a part of it and be able to use my platform to bring awareness to, to what's needed. As a, a quick follow-up uh, before I pivot to a couple basketball questions here, and this is just my two cents. I love the, the irony that this news surfaces on a day when you're adding to that <laughs> credibility in this space. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, 
you're not only talking to a black American who could speak to these issues in, in a much more authoritative way than, you know, than the person who was highlighted today, but you're, you're giving back and doing good things. So good on you both. Thank you. Uh, if you don't mind, you know me, I like to talk hoop. Uh, I just yeah. wondered in general, your headspace going forward, you guys had a lot uh, when it comes to the, the jazz this offseason. Mm-hmm. You got Dennis resigning. You got Ryan Smith obviously getting even more comfortable in that ownership role. D. Wade coming to the group. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the disappointment of last year, and when I saw you last in person, it was after the Denver loss in the bubble. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you guys obviously go up to a last year, and I know how you feel about this group and your title chances and how good you could be. Just give me your perspective on on where your head is at not only for this season, but just how are you feeling about the entire operation and some of these changes? Um, I think we're, I'm excited. You know, I think the biggest thing is just continuing to to build with what we have, you know, and you saw me when we were down 3-1, the tears and the, the heartbreak, you know, and I think we responded as a group. I remember the first thing I said on that bus is, you know, we will not lose in the first round. Like this, remember like when we, when you're working out and doing those eight reps, like, remember that we lost and get that eight to 10, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that. And it, it sounds real cliche and movie type, but like, that's what it was. And I think every guy in that locker room took that to heart. And you saw that effort put into the regular season. You know, you saw what came out of that. I don't think anybody had us in the top eight, you know, so for us to be there, you know, that just speaks to the work that we put in. So now you get to the playoffs. We've been in the first round, you know, we, we did that, but now it's like, you get to the next one, we're up 2-0. Obviously, injuries are a factor in certain things, but, you know, kudos to the Clippers for, for, for winning in six. But, you know, now it's like, what do you take from this? Well, similar situation, you know, and understanding that, you know, this is this is a time. This is our time right here. We can we can get it done and we got to go out there and continue to, you know, continue to work. And I think we need to come back with a little bit of a fire in us and understanding that there were times last year where we for. Once they were forgot, we allow teams to feel comfortable, you know, and then you get to that space where it's a five point lead, five point lead. And then next thing you know, they hit three shots and they're up one. You know what I mean? Like, so now the whole game changes. Right. So now it's like we're up five. We need to get to 15. We're up 15. We need to stay at 15. It can't be an eight point game. Like certain instances where we kind of let our foot off the gas this year. It's like, no, right. keep the foot on the gas. Full 48. Finish the game. Finish the series. Close it out and let's get ready for for what's next. And ultimately, we won't be as happy until we win a chip. It's funny as I was waiting to connect with y'all. Um, ironically, I was sitting here doing ankle therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I had an injury back in early June, yeah. and and I wrote about it a little bit and how humbling it is. It was a fairly serious one, and it's just a reminder of how what you guys do is incredible. Because if yeah. you turn that ankle and you're out for three four weeks, people are wondering. You know where the hell is he? Like, uh-huh. why isn't he out there? And I mean, I'm three plus months in, and uh-huh. I'm still trying to get it back. So, with that in mind, I was thinking about you know that chapter. How's the ankle feeling? And, and within that, you know, that was a time when you were pretty honest about some of your frustration about the the communication internally and, and the way things uh-huh. operate, which matters a lot because you're the team's most important player, and, and your body's got to be in the right kind of place. Like, is there any carryover physically or mentally from that chapter? Um, I think. First of all, I look at it and I've gotten to a point now where I've, I've kind of got to a point where I, I'm appreciative of the injury for myself, uh, for my personal growth um, on and off the floor. I think that injury really, and you know me, Sam, like I love jumping through around you and over you. You know, that injury right. kept me on the ground for the entire playoffs and it allowed me right. to have to make decisions on the ground, slow it down. 
different things that really opened things up that I was like, okay, like this is another level layer of my game that I can get to without, but then now you're adding back, you know, the jumping and, and the athleticism. So ankle feels good. Uh, I'll be ready to go. Um, I think last year it definitely was, was, was shaky. You know, there was just so many different, different obstacles with the, with the ankle and whatnot. But, you know, I think, like I said, you know, it's no slight to Phoenix or Milwaukee or, or the Clippers. You know, I feel like if we were healthy, you know, we, we, we get to the finals. I feel like we, we, we necessarily win, but, you know, it's all easy when you say it's ands and buts, you know what sure. I mean? It's all, it's all right. easy to say that, but. It had to be hard to watch those, those, those teams get after. The only game I, the only game I watched actually was game six of the finals, okay. um, which is unheard of for me because I usually sit there and torture myself after every loss. <laughs> but right. for me, this right. was a summer right. where I had to, this was a summer for me. And this was actually the first summer I didn't do USA basketball. There was no traveling, excuse me, no traveling overseas um for for the shoe tour so it was really my first summer where i got to sit my butt down you know what i mean and sit right. there and just you know reflect and think about uh life life and then also the game you know and kind of be in a different headspace and, and be ready to lock in for when the season comes just jumping in last question no worries thank you i appreciate the extra time um i kind of touched on it earlier but your feeling about you know ownership changes are, uh, are huge and you have front office change. Uh, you know, obviously Quinn's still around, and that's yeah. kind of a security blanket for you. But just as that, those relationships have evolved, just how are you feeling about the effectiveness, the the kind of the, the team aspect organizationally of, of how it's built right now? I, I think you know Ryan's Ryan's done a, a a great job since he's become he's he's coming in and being the owner. Obviously, adding Dwayne Wade helps. You know, because he's a guy sure. my big brother. Um, we've made moves to keep Mike, uh, keep. Yep. You know, obviously sign myself, sign Rudy. Um, we've made key additions and I'm, I think we're excited. I think I'm excited. I know that, you know, for the, for this year coming up and continuing to build because, you know, like you, you saw the past two years have been ended in heartbreak, you know, and just continuing to plug, continuing to plug and plug away. And I think that's, there's beauty in the struggle. I said that on, on Instagram a few, like there's beauty in that, you know, and being able, right. I'm at a point now where, Three years ago, I wouldn't be able to sit here and tell you that, like to be able to say that there's beauty in that, like there's continued life lessons and, and basketball lessons, but understanding that time is coming and you just got to keep plugging away in order to get there. But as far as, you know, Ryan, he's, he's done a, a great job and Dwayne's done a great job and, you know, we're excited. Good stuff. Don, Nicole, thank you guys. Thank appreciate you. Good work off the board. Appreciate you both. Thank you. Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.